listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap from the SBS newsroom on this Tuesday, the 8th of February. Later, we'll take a look at paid parental leave. Is enough being done here in Australia? But first, to the Australian share market, where the S&P ASX 200 had a good day, up 1.1% to 7,186, led by the miners and once again those travel stocks that did well yesterday following the government's decision to say that the international borders here in Australia will open to vaccinated travellers from February the 21st. So for more on the day's market action, I spoke earlier with Marja Bean Zaman from City, Australia. Well, markets are in the green today, driven by materials and financials. Earnings season is in full swing, and this data has, and the data this week has been promising on two fronts. Number one, um, retail sales number reported yesterday beat expectations with an 8.2% increase for Q4 last year, which really tells us that the Australian consumer spending is strong thanks to low interest rates, um, high wealth levels, and excess savings. Today, we had the business confidence data, which showed an improvement in January from a negative 12 to a plus three. So while Omicron caused disruptions across the economy, Businesses definitely believe that this is short-lived, as seen by the increase in business confidence today, despite business conditions falling. Um, you know, we would not really read too much into the soft and hard data out uh, in early early this year, uh, just because this data is really backward-looking from the time Omicron was at its peak. So these disruptions that come with the virus are being reflected in these numbers. We're at the start of profit reporting season. We saw a few more numbers out today. What were the ones you kept an eye on? Look, we are very early into the Australian reporting season. Um, so far, we have seen around 20% um, of companies reporting so far. As we stand today, from the companies that have reported, 72% have shown an upside surprise for sales, while only 46% have shown a positive surprise in earnings. So far, tech and materials seem to be laggards with most of the negative earnings surprises at this stage. Um, having said that, many of the larger names within these industries have yet to report. Now, this earnings seasons, um, we're looking at two things specifically. Number one, we expect continued broad lack of guidance as there has been you know, broad impact to the business and revenue um, over the past uh, quarter or so. Um, our analysts are really looking for more visibility from companies on household and business demand, supply chain constraints, and labor shortages due to the pandemic. Number two, we're also, we also saw in the last reporting season an explosion of capital management initiatives from companies. We saw almost 18 billion of buybacks announced last, last season, um, capital returns, and special dividends. This time round, however, we expect this to be of a much lesser magnitude, so really all eyes to see if the return of capital to investors by way of probably dividends still remains um, strong. The Commonwealth Bank is a big one to report tomorrow. Given we're starting to see a higher interest rate environment, what do you make of the bank reporting season so far and what's to come? Well, we have, had a, we have a total of eight banks reporting this season, of which six have already released earnings. Mixed results so far with only two out of the six having a positive um, earnings surprise. One came in line with consensus and three out of six with a negative earnings surprise. Overall, uh, we do expect the broad banking sector earnings to remain solid with earnings growth forecast of around 5.3% for FY22, followed by a more meaningful rebound in earnings of around 14.7% in FY23. So despite an improving short-term outlook, I guess 
Um, revenue challenges will remain um, due to mortgage competition and the unwinding of COVID-related funding from the central bank. Um, we continue to see some headwinds in the retail banking space going forward. And given that high interest rate environment, where do you see the opportunities and how has it impacted the way you're investing, especially as we start to see inflation filter through? Well, you know, during hiking cycles, um, in the short term, we do see mark-to-market volatility, as we saw in January. Mild sell-offs of up to 10% in the equity market are normal, and sometimes a little more if it's an election year. However, looking back at earlier cycles, um, markets have generally been positive as equity returns seem to smoothen out over the 6 to 12 month period, especially when the hiking cycle is done in a strong growth environment, as we are in now. Now, from a sector perspective, I guess financials tend to benefit from a rising rate environment due to steepening of the yield curve. And what that means is where long end rates are moving up quicker than the short term rates. This generally um, contributes to bank profitability as they offer short-term deposits at lower rates and lend at longer-term uh, longer term basis at higher rates. Um, as we have seen volatility increase over the past month, investors have also been selectively looking at a little bit of those defensive sectors, which tend to come lower drawdowns in times of market stress. And one of these have really been the pharmaceutical and healthcare space. Not forgetting um, fixed, fixed income or bonds is another area where most where the more conservative investor considers as bonds uh, come with a much lesser risk than equity market but always pay a steady rate of income now within fixed income floating rate notes or hybrids they stand out as they not only pay a regular income um, their coupon payments are linked with what the rba does with interest rates so if interest rates are going to increase in the future the coupons of these hybrids or floating rate notes will increase Marja Bin Zaman there from City Australia. From the share market, let's go to paid parental leave and is Australia doing enough when it comes to it? Well, the federal government offers up to 18 weeks at the minimum wage for primary carers. And now three out of five employers also offer paid parental leave for up to 18 weeks. Well, today the Grattan Institute says it's calling for the government to offer 26 weeks paid parental leave ahead of the federal election. It says it'll cost the government around $600 million a year, but be worth $900 million to the economy. What does everyone else think? Well, Angela Jackson, she's an economist at Income Economics, says it should actually be extended to one year. For more, she spoke earlier with Camille Bianchi. Look, I think what Australia should be aiming for is the world best. Uh, I don't think we necessarily need to settle for anything less than that. We know that the first year of a child's life is vitally important, and so we should be looking at around a year uh, of paid leave equally shared between men and women. Now, that's important because it supports families in those early days of a child's life to care for them. It's the best place the research shows for a child. But it also supports families and both members, both mum and dad, to gain those early caring skills and set up those patterns uh, of caring and of workplace, of gender roles within the household that can help both members of those households, both mum and dad, participate in the labour force going forward. And that can deliver greater participation, particularly from mothers, and also help lift productivity. Benefits to the economy, are there any? Is it just a cost? 
No, it's not just a cost because you have to remember that by providing this support, what you're doing is you're freeing women up to work. Uh, that's really, really important. Uh, and you're ensuring that women stay attached to the labour market. And so what you're generating is, is economic benefits. Uh, you're also generating for the future for both Australian men and women a more gender equal society. And we know that that has broader benefits in terms of if we think about violence against women uh, and if we think about as women age, in particular rates of poverty amongst women. So it shouldn't just be seen as a cost. Uh, this is a period of life uh, which is incredibly important for families. There's a lot of financial pressures um, and a lot of pressure to go back to work. Supporting families uh, for the best start in that, those families' lives and the best start uh, for kids, that is an investment uh, and shouldn't be seen just in terms of the cost. What do we do about the stigma? Because, I mean, it is by any measure really good news that you have a 6% uptake of primary carers leave to 12%. That's wonderful in a year. That's extraordinary. Still so low. So um, research suggests it is a matter of stigma, particularly in Australia, multicultural communities especially. What do we do? Is there something we can do and can we do it fast? So I think the change, uh, particularly around COVID, does show that there can that change can come quite quickly, that social change can come quite quickly. It is around government support, though, and I think that's really where, you know, while 60% of private sector employers are offering this, 40% aren't, and we do need a government backed scheme that provides it to all Australians to really normalise this um, and to make it what every family does uh, and part of what it is to be an Australian and what it is to be an Australian dad. And that takes cultural change, uh, but it can happen very quickly. But we need the policy settings and we don't have them right now. Uh, both the length of paid parental leave, you know, only two weeks for dads uh, and the amount of it at the minimum wage is simply not supporting fathers to make that choice. I think we can get there. And I think what the last 12 months shows is how fast that can be. Uh, but we need to have the policy settings in place. Angela Jackson there speaking with Camille Bianchi. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Yeah.